If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Again, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some in the back. If you don't know where the book of 1 Corinthians is, you can turn to the first couple pages of the Bible. You can find a table of contents there. You can look on with somebody next to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As I said, we're officially starting our fourth annual sex, dating, and relationship series. So this is the fourth time that we have done this series at Westside Youth. Over the last four years, we've talked about gender and marriage, singleness, dating, relationships, sex, and just about everything in between. So the big idea of our series is is exploring what it means to follow Jesus with our sexuality. So all of us are sexual beings. That's how God created us. And we're learning how do we align our sexuality with Jesus and the kingdom of God. So how do we as youth and leaders living in Vancouver in 2019 follow Jesus faithfully in the area of our sexuality? So what does that even mean? How do we explore that? What do we say to other people? What story do we tell ourselves? Uh, What stories do we listen to? All of those are really important questions when we come to this series this series. So this series is designed to help you answer some of those questions in a safe community where no conversation is off limits. All right. So we're going to talk about some issues here from the front, and then we're always every week going to break out into our small groups, which will be more of a private and intimate setting that you and your other youth and your leaders can talk more openly uh, and have conversations about what you thought and what you agreed with, what you disagreed with, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, all of those things in the context of your small group. So regardless of your past experiences or what you feel or what questions you have, I want to say that Westside Youth is a safe place for you to engage with what Jesus says, what our culture says, what your own body and your mind says, and learn how to humbly walk with Jesus through it all. So, we're going to kick off our sex, dating, and relationship series by talking about homosexuality. All right? Homosexuality. Now, I don't know what this word conjures up inside of you. I don't know what feelings you have or what ideas come to your mind. Maybe emotions of fear or past abuse. Maybe ones of loneliness or anger or confusion maybe some hurt, maybe some pain, maybe some questions that you have about this topic. And before we get into the teaching, I want to start off by saying a few things. All right, so first and most importantly, the Apostle Paul, arguably one of the greatest theologians of all time, said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So Paul says, if I have not love, I am a clanging gong and a noisy cymbal. So this is Paul's picture Imagine you're talking with somebody, and they're like, hey, what do you think about dating? And you're like, okay, man, here's what I think. I think you're dating.
So that's what I think about dating. Or, hey, man, what do you think about gay marriage? Well, the Bible, in the Bible it says... Well, isn't there a verse in the Bible that says this? Yeah, and actually what that verse means is that... In essence... Somebody might be at the door. Court, can you check? Or John, maybe? In essence, Paul is saying that your theological view of something doesn't matter at all if you don't have love. Meaning you could know every verse, you could know every argument, you could be able to debate with people from every demographic, but if you don't have love, your words mean nothing. Literally, they don't matter at all. So right from the start, our entire posture in this conversation needs to be one of love. That's very, very important. Because theology without love is a noisy symbol. It literally doesn't matter at all. Everybody with me? All right? So it doesn't matter what your theology is. If you do not have love, that's what you sound like. That's what Paul says you sound like to your friends, family members, social media, culture, whatever. All right? So that's the first thing that I want to say. Secondly, I want to apologize to all of you and specifically some of you in the room. There is lots of hurt attached to this conversation. Lots of abuse, lots of pain, lots of hurt and regret and shame. And for that, I just want to say I'm very sorry. As a pastor, a director, a leader in a church, I'm grieved that the church is not a place of refuge for anyone struggling to figure out what to do with their sexuality. I'm grieved to know that by and large, the church is known for hate and disdain and debates and fighting and disregard and abuse of people, not only in our cities, but also our own church communities. We're a family who should welcome and accept anyone regardless of their sexual orientation or past experiences, yet tragically, we've shunned the very people that Jesus calls us to love and serve. And I want you to know that this is a safe community. I'm a safe person to talk to. Your youth leaders are safe. You can always be open and honest with us. We will never shun you. We will never reject you. We will never tell you, do not come back to this youth group. You are always welcome here. Everybody with me? All right, I promise you that. This conversation around homosexuality is not primarily an issue. It's not primarily a problem. It's not primarily a movement. It's not primarily about gay marriage or sex or politics or justice or rights or any of that stuff. These are conversations about real people. Your friends, coworkers, classmates, teammates, even people sitting in this very room who are same-sex attracted are people created in the image of God. They're kings and queens just like you and just like me. They are people for whom Jesus died. They have real stories, real joy, real pain, real suffering, and have a real desire to search for answers and truth. So let's be sensitive to people and not see them as issues to be solved or problems to be fixed or, worst of all, people to be converted. Third, I want to offer up a few disclaimers. All right, how are we doing? Feeling good? All right, we good? 
It's great. Super excited. Few disclaimers. First, it is not lost on me that I am a white, opposite sex attracted, married male with two kids. By the world's metrics, this disqualifies me from speaking on this issue. But my call is to equip you, the youth saints, for your work of ministry. I've been commissioned by God and the leadership of this church to lead you. So I want to pastor you tonight. I want to shepherd you. I want to help you wade into the waters of these relationships and conversations with spirit and with truth, always abounding in love. Second disclaimer, what we're looking at tonight is primarily for followers of Jesus that will have implications for the culture. What we're talking about will make no sense to your friends, to our city, to what Jesus would call the world. And again, as we've said almost every week, the last few years, the kingdom of God is completely upside down. Loving your enemies makes zero logical sense. The Sermon on the Mount is completely backwards to our natural understanding of the world. And we, ourselves, those who follow Jesus, filled with the Spirit of God, don't even fully understand and live by the very ethics of Jesus that we expect other people to live by. Third, you can always find what you want to find. If you want to find people or theologies that allow you to do or think or believe what you want to, you can find those. You're all smart, you're educated, you have Google, you can find what you want to believe, all right? So I'm not here to convince you of some philosophical reality. I'm not even here to defend my position or our position. I'm here to help you learn how to engage with people who may think differently than you. Friends, family members, teammates, teachers, a city who disagrees with what you believe. I'm here to help you love them, serve them, and honor them as you seek to bring heaven to earth in your conversations and relationships. Fourthly, there is so much great material and teaching and content on this conversation by people way more qualified and educated than me. Tonight, I won't even begin to scratch the surface of all of these topics. There's so much that I won't be able to talk about tonight, but I'll do my best to serve you as youth living in Vancouver in 2019. At the very end, I'm going to give you some resources, some books, some content that if you want to dig into this conversation deeper, if you want to learn more, there's some awesome resources out there. I will not be able to get into everything tonight, but please come and talk to me. Talk to your youth leaders. We'd love to serve you and help you in that way. And lastly, if you can't already tell, this will quite possibly be the longest teaching we've ever had at Westside Youth. All right? We're four pages in, and I haven't even started yet. All right? But some nights, it takes a lot of work. You got to engage. You got to really look deeply. You got to look at these issues from every angle. You have to look at the text. You have to talk to the people. You have to look at the cultural moment. And you have to see how to engage the conversations. And tonight is one of those nights. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to read a few verses. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. All right? Feeling all right? You guys look good. Man. Sex, dating, relationships, 2019. Who's excited? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be amazing. 
All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to start reading in verse 9. Paul writes this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit, inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, I need you every moment of my life. Uh, There's not a second that goes by that I don't need your presence, your power, uh, your wisdom, your peace that surpasses understanding. And tonight, uh, I pray for more of that. I pray that uh, anything that I say or wrote uh, that does not align with Scripture, that does not um, bring peace to your ears, I pray that you would block uh, ears, that it would just fall dead. Uh, And I pray Uh, more than anything, Jesus, that you would be seen as glorious tonight, that you would um, be magnified, that your vision for the good life would be all that we want, all that we desire, all that we want for our world. So Jesus, help us to live like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to start tonight by talking about a show on Netflix called Queer Eye. All right, how many of you ever seen this show? Queer Eye, okay? It's on Netflix, tearjerker of a show, all right? This is a show where these five guys who each have a specialty in a certain area, food, culture, clothes, interior design, and hair, step into the life of another person who is really struggling in their self-care and their self-confidence and help them look, act, and feel better than they ever have. As I said, this show literally... Every episode makes me cry, all right? It's incredible. These five guys enter the life of someone they don't even know and serve them unapologetically and without reserve, and it's amazing. One guy on the cast is named Bobby, all right? This is Bobby, as you'll see in a minute over here. He does interior design. Bobby is amazing. I love Bobby. I want to show a clip from an interview that Bobby did about his experience being gay and growing up in church. Um, For years, I carried so much resentment and, and frankly, hate towards the religious community for completely turning their backs on me. You know, I grew up very religious. There was not a day I did not go to church. I went to a Christian school. I got up at 5 a.m. every morning to go to church to pray before school, carried my Bible to school. Everything about my life was religion, and the day I came out, everything was taken away. Um, Everyone who had said they loved me no longer did, you know. Or it was, as Jonathan and I like to talk about, love the sinner but hate the sin. You know, oh, I, I love you, but you're burning in hell, you heathen pedophile. You know, that's what you would hear. And so my whole life, I just heard hate after hate after hate about anyone who was not heterosexual. And I remember begging and praying God for God not to make me gay. And that just didn't happen. 
And at 15, I ended up running away from home because I, um, it was, it was kind of to the point where it was come out or, or die um, because I couldn't wear a mask anymore. Um, I couldn't live one more day of my life with not, without one person on the planet knowing me for who I was. Um, and that's, I think, why the suicide rate is so high in our community is because you are the loneliest person in the world. And so I left at 15, so I could come out. I moved, you know, to the big city of Springfield. Bobby goes on to say how he moved to the city so that he could come out and not be judged. All I heard growing up was hate, hate, hate about anyone who wasn't heterosexual. It was to the point of come out or die because I couldn't wear a mask anymore. I couldn't live one more day of my life without one person on the planet knowing me for who I was. I think that's why the suicide rate is so high in our community, because you are the loneliest person in the world. So here's my question for us at Westside Youth. Let's say you knew Bobby when he was 15 years old. Let's say Bobby was in your science class, and without knowing anything about his story, he walk up to you in the hallway and he said, hey, I heard you're a Christian who like goes to church and like you read your Bible and like you talk about Jesus. And you say, I am. And he said, well, here's my question for you. Is homosexuality a sin? What would you say to Bobby? How would you respond to that question from Bobby? Would you say yes? Would you say no? Would you say, I don't know? According to most of the material I read in preparing for this teaching, about 84% of all LGBTQ people who, who are, about 84% of all LGBTQ people grew up in the church. Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, Etc. They grew up around the Bible. They grew up around faith and church. So my guess is Bobby's story is pretty common. Now, chances are most of us in the room tonight have been asked this question. Has anyone ever just point blank been asked this question by somebody? All right. Most of us have. By a friend, family member, coworker, or classmate. It's a very common question asked of people who claim to follow Jesus. What are we supposed to say? What are you supposed to say to your friend, to your teacher, to conversations at school, where hopefully you are known as someone who followed Jesus, you inevitably will be asked, well, what do you think? Do you think homosexuality is a sin? Tonight, I want to help you understand the correct answer to Bobby's question is not yes, and it's not no. It's way more complex. It's way more beautiful. It's way more nuanced than a simple one-word response would give. So that's my goal for tonight. I want us to walk away from youth, prepared to have a conversation with Bobby about what we believe to be true about ourselves and the world around us according to Jesus. All right? So I have a very simple agenda. I'm not going to argue a bunch of things. I'm not going to look at a bunch of different angles of, of this and that. There's lots of great material out there. I am simply, my goal for tonight is for you to be able to walk away 
and have an understanding of how to have a conversation with somebody if and when this question comes up. All right, that's my singular focus. All right, how are we feeling? Be good? We understand? Ready to go? All right, let's dive in. So, first question, what is homosexuality? What is that? Have you ever thought of that? If someone came up to you and asked you that, what is homosexuality? What would you say? How would you define that? Is it an orientation, a behavior, a lifestyle, a practice? Is it something you do or something you are? Is homosexuality the same thing as being gay? Can you be a gay Christian? Can you be homosexual in orientation but not in practice? Clearly, the term homosexuality is such a loaded word. It means different things to different people, especially as youth and leaders living in Vancouver in 2019. Now, what's interesting is that the word homosexuality never comes up in the Bible. According to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, the term homosexuality was coined in the late 19th century by a German psychologist, K. Maria Benkert. You might be thinking, we just read the term homosexuality in our text in 1 Corinthians 6. We did. Let me explain. Since the 19th century, we've put the word homosexuality in our English translations. But up until the early 20th century, it was never in the Bible. If you open up a King James Bible, you will not find the term homosexuality because that was a word that was created later to describe something different. If you ever find the word homosexuality in the Bible, it will be a recent translation and it will be an attempt to translate a word that we've tried to make sense of in English. But there's no word for homosexuality in the ori original languages of Greek and Hebrew, which means that Paul and Moses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, none of those people actually ever used the word homosexuality. What's even more interesting is that Jesus himself never mentions homosexuality. But as we know, Jesus was no stranger to controversy. He had no problem talking about controversial and sensitive issues in his culture. But it's still a bit strange if you, like me, are familiar with Scripture, you'll know that Jesus talks a ton about sexuality, right? He talks a ton about marriage and lust, men and women, singleness, divorce, adultery, but never homosexuality, which could mean a couple different things. First, it could mean that he doesn't care about it. Some have argued this, that if Jesus never mentions it, he clearly doesn't care about it, and you can live however you want. That's one option. Secondly, it could mean Jesus never mentions homosexuality because the Bible is incomplete. That Jesus might have talked about homosexuality, walking around, being a first century rabbi, traveling from city to city and interacting with people. He might have mentioned it or taught on it, but we just don't have an account of what he said. Therefore, we can't know. And if we can't know, then it's up for us to decide. Or third, it could mean that he never mentions the word homosexuality because he's taught enough about sexuality for us to know how we should and should not be living our lives in the kingdom of God. I would humbly 
and graciously go with option number three. Now, I know the pushback so far. You may be here thinking, well, the Bible does talk about homosexuality, even though the word may not be in the original Greek and Hebrew, nerd. I would say you're 100% right. That is an accurate statement. Even though the Bible never uses the word homosexuality, the topic of sexual activity between two people of the same sex is clearly mentioned. Genesis 2, Leviticus 18 to 20, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, as we just read, 1 Timothy 1, among other passages, speak to this issue. The Bible does use language like men who have sex with men or women who have sex with women, even though the term homosexuality doesn't come up in the Bible, which means that in order to answer Bobby's question, we have to know what Bobby means by homosexuality and compare that with what Scripture says about it. Now, I'm going to walk you through at the very end how I think you should respond to Bobby. I'm going to give you, here's what you should say to Bobby, or here's what I would say if Bobby asked me a question. So just hold tight. We will get there, I promise. But for now, I want us to talk a little bit about sex and marriage because Jesus talks a ton about marriage and gives us some specific teachings related to sexuality in the kingdom of God. So in Matthew chapter 19, you don't have to turn there, Jesus was asked by a group of religious church leaders, so like these pastors of the day, people who knew a ton about the Bible, they asked him whether or not divorce was okay. And Jesus says this, Matthew 19, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Excuse me. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, we can clearly gather from this passage and others like it that Jesus responds to questions about sex and divorce and lust and marriage and male and female using this one framework. This is the essence of the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, the other teachings of Jesus, the writings of the New Testament, the Old Testament, early Christian church, and Orthodox Christian belief for the last 2,000 years summed up in one sentence. Any and all sexual activity outside of a lifelong covenantal union before God between a man and a woman is sin. And sin, as we've talked about before, literally means to miss the mark. The Greek word, I told you we were going to talk about Greek. All right, the Greek word is hamartia. Everybody say that. Hamartia. Okay, very good. But hamartia is not primarily a theological word. It is not a legal word. It's not a justification word. Sin doesn't mean that you've done something morally wrong. It's not breaking the rules. It's not obeying the rules or disobeying the rules. Most often when the New Testament uses the word sin, it's actually an archery term. All right, so it carries the idea of a bow and arrow. So let's say you have a bow. Let's say you have some arrows. You get your arrow out. You get your bow. You got your bullseye there, and you line up, and you shoot the arrow. All right? So hamartia 
carries the idea of bows and arrows. To hamartia means that you don't hit the bullseye. That's what that word literally means. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means is we've all gotten out our bows, we pulled the arrow back, we shot at the target, and we didn't hit the bullseye. We all hamartia'd. We've sinned. Which means that in regard to our sexuality, anything that is not a bullseye is missing the mark. So either you're 100% perfect, you are on the Canadian archery Olympic team, and from any distance in any setting, you can perfectly hit the bullseye every single time, or you're 100% guilty. Those are your only two options. There's no in between. There's no like sort of right. There's no I'm pretty close. There's no I'm closer than they are. It is you are either perfectly in the center or you've hamartia'd. You're not on the bullseye. That means that every single one of us is guilty. You are guilty. I am guilty. We have all missed the mark in our sexuality. And I don't care how it plays out in your life, whether it's with somebody of the same sex, somebody with a different sex, whether it's by yourself, whether it's another person, we have all missed the mark. The mark is Jesus and everybody else. That's it. Jesus is the bullseye. Everything else is hamartia. It's missing the mark. So one of the questions I want us to wrestle with tonight is this. Where have I missed the mark? Where have I not been perfect in my sexuality? Where have I sinned? Where have I hamartia'd? I'm not concerned with how other people are missing the bullseye. Jesus says I need to take the log out of my own eye before I can worry about the speck in someone else's. So where have I missed the mark? So let me be completely clear and frank because it's sex, dating, and relationships, and I get to do that, and also because I love all of you very much, and I care that you know the truth. I don't care if it's checking out a guy or a girl on transit or at school or at work or watching porn or going to a strip club in Vegas or having sex with multiple people in multiple times in multiple different ways. It does not matter. Jesus says that if you look at someone with lust, you are guilty of committing adultery. Meaning that if you walk down the street and you do a double take, you check out that boy, you check out that girl, and you have a lustful thought about them, it is the exact same thing as me cheating on Nicole. That's what Jesus says. It's the same thing. You're guilty. You've hamartia'd. You've fallen short. You've missed the mark. And you are no better than anyone else. But the reverse is also true. You're no worse than anybody else. You're not a waste of space. You're not what you've done or what's been done to you. We, as I said before, Westside Youth is a place where everyone has missed the mark. Because if you're not Jesus, it means you've missed the mark, which means you're in a family of people who constantly miss the mark every single day. And that's exactly what our passage for tonight says. Who is guilty of, of missing the mark, of sinning, 
of not inheriting the kingdom of God? Well, Paul says, the sexually immoral, the drunkards, the prostitutes, the lazy, the disrespectful, the selfish. In fact, Romans 1 says this, they, these people who missed the mark, were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, yikes, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, double yikes, disobedient to parents, <laughs> foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, savage Paul. Continuing on, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. In the context of this passage, Paul is talking a lot about missing the mark. All right, and look what's on this list. Haters of God, inventors of evil, disobedience to parents. You may be thinking like, wait, time out. Are you saying that saying, no, mom, I don't want to unload the dishwasher and hating God and inventing evil are the same thing? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying to you. Because we have all missed the mark. All right, as we've said before, it's Jesus, bullseye, perfect, righteous, holy, Every second, every day, whole life, never wrong. And it's everybody else. And the beauty of the gospel is that when we respond to Jesus in faith, God actually sees us as hitting the bullseye of, of being perfect. And we can and will continue to miss the mark. Yet the Father graciously gives the righteousness, the purity, the holiness of Jesus to us, and we then, by the power of the Spirit, have the privilege of being his sons and daughters and kings and queens who co-rule the world alongside him and bring heaven to earth. Amen? So here's the crazy thing about the gospel. You're not even close to the bullseye. And yet, when you respond to Jesus in faith... When you shoot that arrow, it's perfect every single time. That's how the Father sees you. So you can mess up. It doesn't matter if you're like a little bit, like, oh, I was pretty close. Or if you're like way off in the other direction in Christ, you hit the bullseye every single time. So now that we've seen what's acceptable practice for sexuality in the kingdom of God, and we've seen that we've all fallen miserably short of that standard, let's look at how Jesus responds to people who would be considered sinners. All right? Now, am I a, would, would be considered a sinner? Yes. Would you be considered a sinner? Yes, because you're not Jesus. All right? Again, our goal tonight is to answer Bobby's question. Is homosexuality a sin? That's our goal. That's what we're trying to get to. And in order to continue to learn how to answer that, I want to go to the life and teachings of Jesus and consider what Jesus would say to Bobby. All right, let's say Jesus came to Atlanta, Georgia, and he's doing his itinerant teaching around, and he's teaching about life in the kingdom. And Bobby comes out of school, and Jesus is walking along the sidewalk with his disciples, his followers. 
And Bobby pushes through the crowd and asks Jesus, hey, Jesus, is homosexuality a sin? What would Jesus say to Bobby? What would be his response? Because that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to be like Jesus. We're trying to do the things that he did. We're trying to have the theology and the practice and the concern just like Jesus did. It's our goal. So to do that, we're going to look at Matthew 8, and I want us to look at two words from Matthew 8. I want us to look at the word conviction and compassion. Everybody say conviction. Everybody say compassion. Very good. All right, conviction and compassion. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you, says this. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Wow, great verse, right? Has everything to do with homosexuality, right? Actually, more than you think, all right? This is... This absolutely blew my mind as I was working through this and trying to frame like, okay, what do I say? How do I frame this? This verse literally changed the whole game for me. If you're like, dude, mountain crowds, what does it have to do with anything? I'm telling you, this is going to blow your socks off, okay? Matthew 8, verse 1, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. It's absolutely incredible. First, the conviction of Jesus was amazing. And I want you to see what's happening here. Does anyone remember what the number eight is preceded by? What numbers? Seven and six and five. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Very good. So Jesus, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is talking about the Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom of God. When he comes down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. So look at this. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is about the kingdom of God. The highest ethical code for living ever. Ever. So much so that it seems completely unattainable to live by this code of conduct that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. Turn the other cheek. If you hate someone, you're guilty of murder. If you look at someone with lust, you're committing adultery. Don't resist the one who is evil. Be generous, but don't tell anyone about it. Don't eat food, but pray instead. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. Do not be anxious. Jesus had this incredibly high ethic of living. It was social, it was political, it was emotional, and it was sexual. All of these wrapped up in this one Sermon on the Mount with this incredibly high ethic of of living. Anyone who says that Jesus was like loose on behavior and he was all about grace and it was like, oh, you can live however you want and like it doesn't really matter, has never read the Sermon on the Mount. He absolutely cares how you live your life. So much so that the bar for living was higher than Mother Teresa and Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. all combined into one. So the conviction about a code of living was super high. So on one side, you have conviction. You have to live like this in the kingdom of God. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, 
all these crazy things that Jesus calls us to. So on the one side, we have conviction. I would argue the church is really good at conviction. The church is super good at telling people how to live. What's right, what's wrong, what's wrong, what gets you into heaven, what gets you into hell, how do you be a good person, how do you have your sins forgiven, theology, doctrine, conviction, church, for the most part, nailing it, all right? Really good on the church side with conviction. And yet, what is often overlooked by the church is compassion. Jesus goes from the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, Matthew 8, verse 1. This is the right after the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus came down from the mountain, teaching these incredible convictions and calling people out of the way that they've been living into a completely new vision for life and goes immediately to love and serve the very people that he just spoke out against. Crowds were not followers. The word crowd and the word follower, two different words. So Jesus comes down from the mountain, teaches everybody, hey, you should live like this in the kingdom of God. And then he goes and the crowds come to Jesus. Everyone wants to learn from Jesus. They want to be healed. They want to learn. They're coming. Why? Why were they coming? That's the question. Jesus, in these next few chapters, talks with a Roman centurion, someone whose entire life was about killing his enemies and suppressing weak people. Yet Jesus loves him and heals his daughter. He then goes to Zacchaeus, who is a tax collector, which doesn't mean much to us, but basically, if you take somebody who's a drug dealer and runs a porn agency and uses the income of both of those to fund, like ISIS, bombing innocent communities, if you're like, whoa, dude, a little too much, that's exactly what people thought of tax collectors. They hated them. They were the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst people. Jews, people of God, hated, hated, hated tax collectors. Zacchaeus was someone that abused his power. He stole from the poor to fund his comfortable, pleasure-filled life. Yet, Jesus enters his life, forgives him, literally goes to his house, and Zacchaeus ends up giving all the money back and providing food and shelter for the poor. The prostitutes, the drunkards, the cheats, slanderers, paralytics, leopards, the people on the farthest edges of society loved Jesus. The Bible says that the tax collectors and sinners ran to him. These were sinners who were categorized by the religious leaders and thrown out, mocked, dehumanized, and rejected by everyone that they knew. There's a reason that lepers and prostitutes and all the quote-unquote bad people, there's a reason that they were like outcasts from society. They couldn't worship at the temple. They couldn't have their sins forgiven. They couldn't go to synagogue. They were on the outermost part of society. Yet they loved Jesus. Great crowds followed him. Why? Why did they follow Jesus? Remember his conviction. We already talked about the Sermon on the Mount. Highest ethical code for living ever. Why did they follow Jesus? It was his compassion that drew people. His kindness 
led them to repentance. Jesus taught the ethic of the kingdom, yet had a reputation of being a friend of sinners. That was not a good term. A friend of sinners was a derogatory term in the first century. People actually thought that he was a glutton and a drunkard because he hung out and had relationships with the very people that the religious community had completely rejected. And yet, Jesus had this incredible ability to have a perfect balance of conviction and compassion. Here's how you should be living your life. Also, I love you. Live your life like this. I love you. Here's how to have what Jesus would call the good life. Also, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Conviction, compassion, seamlessly. One person, Jesus. He would call them to follow him in this seemingly impossible way of living, yet would say, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you. You care for me? I'm a prostitute. I'm a tax collector. I'm a sinner. I'm a leper. The church has rejected me. My parents have rejected me. I can't even go into town because I have to yell, I'm unclean. Nobody come near me. I'm a bad person. And the good people, they would all back away and let me walk in front so that they didn't get dirty by my dirtiness. And yet Jesus calls them to come to him. And he says, I won't lay anything burdensome on you. I will give you rest. Compassion and conviction. And I have no idea how he did it. Actually, that's not true. I know how he did it. He was totally surrendered to the work of the Spirit, and he was God in flesh, and he brought heaven to earth, and he was Jesus. But that's exactly what we're called to do. As followers of Jesus living in Vancouver in 2019, we are called to do the very same thing. Jesus was the master. He was the rabbi. If you were at Youth Leadership Conference when A.V. was talking about be with your rabbi, become like your rabbi, do what your rabbi did, that's exactly our vision. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and then do the things that he did while he was on the earth. He was perfect at this. Jesus had this incredible ability to have both compassion and conviction with every single person that he met. So my question for us is this. Does the LGBTQ community in Vancouver feel the same way about us as they would have felt about Jesus? Think about that. If we, as Westside Youth, Westside Church, the capital C church in the city of Vancouver, if we are modeling the life and teachings of Jesus, how would the LGBTQ community be treating us? Well, if we were treating them the way that the religious leaders treated them, they, they would run away from us. They would hate us. They would not want anything to do with us because that's exactly what they did to the religious community in Jesus' day. The conviction people. But... If we were treating the LGBTQ community like Jesus, what would happen? Well, if it was anything like Jesus, they would be drawn to us. 
Would they be drawn to us because we have the correct views of marriage? Would they be drawn to us because they tell them, you're wrong, I'm right? Would they be drawn to us because we don't care how you live your life, you can do whatever you want? Well, no. They'd be drawn to us because we had both compassion and conviction, exactly like Jesus. So if the LGBTQ community is not being drawn to us, our lifestyle, our teaching, and our community, we are not modeling Jesus. We may have good doctrine. We may know how to read the Bible. We may have sound theology, but it's not Jesus. I'm going to say that again. If we if the LGBTQ community is not being drawn to us and our lifestyle and our teaching in our community, Westside Youth, Westside Church, Capital C Church in Vancouver, if that is not happening, we are not modeling Jesus. If we are not modeling the love of Christ in the Spirit by humbly serving and ministering to those around us in love with conviction and compassion, we have no authority to speak on this issue. None. I'll say that again. If we, as Westside Youth, if you, as a follower of Jesus, are not modeling the love of Christ in the Spirit by humbly serving and ministering to those around you in love, with having conviction and also compassion, you have no authority to speak on this issue. If you have not love, you are nothing. We must realize our own shortcomings and respond to those around us with conviction, yes, Sermon on the Mount, the good life, the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God, conviction, absolutely, 100%. Jesus was not down on conviction, but we need compassion. Conviction and compassion. If I have not love, I am nothing. So, as we close, you guys are doing great. How are you feeling? So good. Bobby walks up to you in the hallway and asks you, do you believe that homosexuality is a sin? Let's say you're here tonight and you're not a Christian I promise you we don't talk about homosexuality every week. We've been waiting four years and 112 teachings, and we're just now getting to it. But tonight, we're getting to it. Somebody, if that's you, you're welcome. Super glad that you're here. Also, kind of awkward first teaching, but love you. Um, if you follow Jesus and you're a part of Westside Youth and you know any person who's not a Christian and they walk up to you and they say, hey, you're a Christian, yep, don't you like go to church and stuff? Yeah. I think I saw you with your Bible one time. Hopefully. And they ask you, is homosexuality a sin? Or what do you think about homosexuality? Or do homosexuals go to hell? Frame it however you want. What do you say? Here's what I would say. I'm going to give you my response. You can disagree with this. That's fine. You're also a king or a queen who reigns in the kingdom of God, so you have as much spiritual authority as I do. However, here's my opinion. I would say, Bobby, do you know how amazing Jesus is? 
Do you know how incredible Jesus is? Have you ever read the Gospels? Do you know the kind of love and grace and truth and beauty he lives and teaches? I'm completely obsessed with Jesus, Bobby. I love him so much. He is giving me literally everything that I have. He's everything to me. I literally cannot stop talking about Jesus. And I would love to take some time and share with you about how amazing Jesus is. I honestly, Bobby, I don't care whether you're gay or not. Doesn't matter to me. I care about you as a human being. You're made in the image of God. You're amazing, valued, incredible person and have so much importance and potential in the kingdom of God. I don't know if people do this anymore, but I would love to have you over to my house for dinner or take you out to lunch or text you anytime you want to and talk about Jesus. I want to show you how amazing Jesus is. He's done something for me that I could never do for myself. He saved me. He's brought me back into relationship with the Father. He's given me his spirit. He's called me to partner with him to bring heaven to earth. I'm literally an agent of God's will being enacted on the earth. And when I pray, God himself actually moves in the world. I am salt and light in this world, showing people the beauty of Jesus and the incredible glory of the kingdom of God. I'm literally the body of Jesus bringing God's kingdom to the city of Vancouver. And even though I miss the mark every single day, he still loves me. He still forgives me. He still accepts me. Bobby, following Jesus is the hardest, most rewarding, and beautiful thing I could ever do with my life. It has changed every single thing about me. Even though I'm still so messed up and living in the kingdom of God is way harder than anything I'd ever think that I would have to do, I know that it's worth it. I know that Jesus is king, his spirit lives inside of me, and someday he'll come back and he'll make all things new. Does that answer your question? And if Bobby isn't satisfied with that answer, my guess is he's going to have more questions than just what I believe about homosexuality. If he's not satisfied with that answer, my suggestion, you keep telling him how amazing Jesus is, and you allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that the Holy Spirit does, which is bring about a revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. So as we close, back to our teaching text. Paul writes, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen? Without Jesus, none of us can inherit the kingdom of God. But with Jesus, all of us can inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? Now, before I pray, I want to give you some additional resources to continue this conversation with parents and family and friends. There's lots of incredible resources out there, and I've read a ton and done a lot of work, but I've only dealt tonight with one super, super small slice of the pie because 
you're an adult and you can do homework on your own and you can educate yourself on the issues, all right? There's so much more we could talk about. There's a lot, of, a lot of nuance, a lot of conversation, a lot of debate to be had in this entire conversation. But I hope that tonight has opened the door for us to have real conversations with real people about what we believe to be true about a real king. So here's a few resources for you. In my opinion, by far the best book on this issue is a book called People to be Loved by Preston Sprinkle. All right? This is an incredible book, high scholarship, high practical, great pastoral tone, highly recommend this book, Why Homosexuality is Not Just an Issue. This guy, Preston Sprinkle, if you're listening to this, Preston, I love you. Please come to Westside Youth. But he actually left his career as a writer and pastor to found what is called the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. So his entire job is speaking and writing and blogging and resources on the conversation around homosexuality and gender and orientation and all of those things and how those things relate to scripture and Jesus and the kingdom of God and incredible resources. Secondly, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, uh, an incredible book by Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, This is all about hospitality, and hopefully, if you didn't pick it up, my answer has less to do with a theological conviction as much as it has to do with being a hospitable follower of Jesus, which is way more important than theologically what you believe to be true about homosexuality. And this book is a book about someone who experienced the kingdom of God in a hospitable way that led her to the kingdom of God. And it's incredible. Highly recommend it. Another great book, Gay Girl, Good God, the story of who I was and who God has always been. This is Jackie Hill Perry's autobiography. This is also a great book, an easy read. I thought I had to sneeze. Um, highly recommend this book. Another one, Is God Anti-Gay? Remember the Is God Anti-Gay conference here at Westside? It was like one of my, my first couple weeks here. Uh, Sam Alberry, uh, amazing writer. Sam Alberry actually is a same-sex attracted pastor. I don't know if he would, he would call himself a gay Christian, uh, but he is same-sex attracted. He's committed his, uh, he is practicing a life of celibacy uh, because of his sexual attraction. And this is his way of, of talking about the issue from Bible verses and, and what does Jesus say about homosexuality and all that stuff. Really amazing. Uh, he created a similar thing that Preston Sprinkle did uh, called livingout.org. And this is, this is a, a same thing, conversations about homosexuality and church relationships and pastoral issues. And that's also a really good resource for you. I would highly recommend also, uh, there is a church in New York City called Church of the City, New York, and they did a series called Controversial Jesus, and they basically went through tons of controversial topics and talked about them through the lens of Jesus. So they talk about homosexuality, transgender, porn, singleness, women in ministry, like you name it, they talk about it. It's a great series, but specifically, 
the teaching on homosexuality was amazing. It was like an hour and a half long on a Sunday. So if you think tonight was long, you should hear John Tyson talk about it. All right? He talks way more about the Greek and Hebrew and Genesis and Leviticus and 1 Corinthians 6 and Romans 1 and 1 Timothy 1. He goes through all of that, but obviously I wasn't going to do that and we didn't have time to do that tonight. But I would highly recommend that sermon series. Now, before we head into our small groups, I wanted to flesh this teaching out a little bit. Make it real, not just like theory, not just theology, not just like in your mind, in your ears, and like trying to figure out, okay, what does this mean for real life? Even though that's a pretty good answer to give Bobby, honestly, not going to lie. I really like that answer. But I wanted to give you a real life example. So I've asked Jonathan Bryden, who's one of our very own youth leaders, to share a bit of his story and show how the compassion and the conviction of Jesus plays out in his story. So let's welcome Jonathan uh, as he comes to share. Hi, everybody. Uh, it's good to see to see you tonight. Um, yeah, uh, as Joseph mentioned, um, uh, this is my story, uh, and. Yeah, a lot of the experiences and that um, people who struggle with this, uh, I've been through uh, on both sides. Um, and yeah, it, it hasn't it hasn't been easy, but um, Jesus is faithful, and Jesus is good, and um, and. Yeah, even yeah, I I even want to confess tonight too that like I um, I have been on the other side too, even though I struggled with this. I've been like the oh, conviction, conviction, and missing the compassion, and um, because we all <laughs> we need Jesus. In every area of our life, and we can swerve to one side or the other. And I, so, know like if you are here tonight and you've you've you have moments you're like, oh, I've been that like, I've said I've done stupid things, or I've been like, oh, the conviction. Know that you're not alone in that because I'm it, I struggle with this, and I've been the conviction person. So, um, there are. There are a few things I want to share tonight, uh, and I want to speak to anybody in the room who might be experiencing this themselves, um, uh, or uh, to any degree, or have experienced this before, um, or to anybody in the room who has someone they know who they love. Uh, who is going through this, um, whether that person is a believer or not. Um, I want to I wanna give you five things, five truths that um, have changed, changed my life and allow me to be able to stand up here and talk to you guys because um, there was a time where I was, I was 
I was terrified if I told my parents I'd be rejected. I, or if I told my friends I would be, I would be cast out just like um, Bobby was. Um, so uh, here we go. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna take a minute to pray too. Yeah, Jesus. Um, I ask you for your help and your grace, because uh, this this is all about you, and we we do need you. I need you. Um, God, forgive us for the moments where we have uh, missed the mark in this. No matter where we stand with this, um, help us, God, to love Jesus like you love, and to receive like. Uh, the grace that you so amazingly offered. Amen. Okay, um, so the first uh, first thing I want to say is um, you're not alone. Uh, there, there are many who struggle with this, uh, many in the church, and uh, even those who don't struggle with this, um, the the temptation that you face, uh, they understand the same temptation, but just from a different place. So you can find brothers and sisters, even though even um, if they've never felt felt it to the same sex. I've had such amazing friends over the years who've walked with me, who. Uh, who I've been brothers brothers with, who uh, I found yeah such community with, and knowing that I'm not alone. Um, uh, and I want to read First Corinthians ten thirteen to you um, that speaks to this: the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. That's First Corinthians ten thirteen. So know that whatever you're going through, you're not alone. You're not alone in that. The second truth I want to share is this. There isn't, this isn't the worst thing above everything else. It's not. Um, and I wrote the scripture I shared with this is the one that we were focusing on tonight um, that Joseph read several times that uh, neither sexual immorality nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor the greedy nor the drunkards or nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God and such were some of you but you are washed you are sanctified you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God um, Joseph touched on this too that like if you are if you struggle with this or if you struggle with greed you're in the same boat. So the girl or, or the guy who's like going to the mall every day and buying tons of stuff and that's all they talk about, you're in the same boat as them. Um, the third truth I want to share is um, how you are tempted is, is not a sin. It's what you do with your temptations that can be. Um, it's, uh, one of the things that I've faced or I struggled with early on was like questioning whether like just how I felt was sinful and and like because I couldn't change how I, f I felt it meant that I was just perpetually sinful and not able to come to God and repent because 
I couldn't change my my feelings. Sometimes I couldn't change. Uh, I couldn't repent. So I want to speak against that. That's not true. Um, and Matthew f- uh, four one says, "Then Jesus was led um, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil." So. Um, if you feel the temptation strong, Jesus did too, and he he was uh, he didn't sin. Uh, the fourth truth I want to share tonight is um, how you feel is not who you are, and that's a big one. Uh, and so if you if you have friends um, who struggle with this. Uh, and even if they're not Christian, you, this is a big truth you can tell them because this is the big lie that our society is trying to push. Um, um, and if, if they're like, if, they, if you have any pushback to this, um, this is a verse I want to share with you. It's Galatians 3, 28. Um, it says, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our identity is not in our gender or our social status or our nationality. It, if we are in Jesus, our identity is in Him. That's the only place to really find an like a strong identity. There's there's nothing else. So how we feel is never how uh, never determines who we are. The last um, truth I want to share with you tonight is, is this. Your desires matter to God, and he has a plan to meet them in Jesus. I, this was the hardest thing for me to face um, during the years uh, of struggle was being overwhelmed by wanting or desiring after something that I felt like I could never have and... Um, God still is working in me in this, and um, um, the I know the goal, I know the traje- trajectory is that Jesus would become my heart's treasure. I can say I'm not, I'm not fully there yet, but I'm, I'm going because I believe it. I believe with all my heart, and I want to share that with you too. That um, you may know, you may know it. Um, and uh, there is a prayer that uh, that corresponds with this, that prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I'm just going to look it up, and um, I'm not going to just share it with you. I I want to I want to pray pray it over you as well, because it is yeah very powerful, and I would say it's probably like my my life. My life verse. Um, <clears throat> I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray that for you guys today, and um, and I um, want you to know that 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 is our our goal is to know the love of Christ, because knowing that love is fullness of life. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you.